0: Hello and welcome everyone back to another episode of The Publisher Lab. I am Tyler Bishop, alongside me as always, Shelby Kang. Shelby, how's it going today?
1: I'm doing well. We've finished Intelligence, so I'd like to say that I'm like a little bit less busy, but I feel like I'm not. <laughs> but everything's doing well. How are you?
0: I'm doing really well, and you're really busy because we've got more Pubtelligence and even more events on the way, and I know... Uh, Our listeners may or may not be aware, but you're kind of the mastermind behind a lot of the kind of live experiences that we have uh, as a team, and um, our publishers interact with you probably more than they realize a lot of times.
1: Yeah, I I like to kind of stay behind the scenes a little bit, but yeah, it's been a lot of fun so far. Um, Pubtelligence West was a big hit, excited for Pubtelligence London.
0: Yeah, on October 23rd, no less, so coming right up, and uh, we had... Paul uh, Kassar on the podcast last week. I know that was a really popular one, and and Paul obviously spoke at the event. Um, but we got a chance to speak to a lot of different types of publishers at the event, and so I this was the first time that you had a chance to kind of you know be a part of one of these events and, and be around a lot of publishers and Googlers and things like that. So what was your what was your takeaway? I'm interested, in, like what your impression was of publishers and Googlers and just the entire experience.
1: It was definitely a lot of fun getting to know everybody. Um, I guess I'm kind of just surprised that, not really surprised, but you know, it's kind of just like everyday normal people just like you and I. Um, So it's really nice to kind of put some faces to names and yeah, get to meet everybody in person. It was really awesome.
0: So what do we have on the the docket today? What kind of things do we have on the agenda? Uh,
1: Yeah, so I wanted to start off with um, Bing and they actually recently are... Uh, released um, AMP Viewer for news stories and mobile search. I know we had Matt talk a little bit about mobile and where the future is going. But yeah, so AMP pages are now available for being in the news carousels. Um, That's for U.S. users, but it will roll out in other countries in the coming months. And they also plan to open up AMP to other um, non-news websites soon, too.
0: Yeah, so Matt. Um, you know, you referenced Matt. Matt was uh, the Googler that spoke at uh, Pub Intelligence West. He's a member of the uh, Google Mobile team, and obviously AMP being a huge part of that. And I think, you know, I, I learned a lot from his presentation just about kind of their their direction. I, I stay on top of the AMP stuff quite a bit, um, but there was a few things that did, that he had mentioned that were new to me. Um, one of which is, you know, for those that you know maybe are hearing Bing and you're like, oh my gosh, Bing AMP. Could it be? This is a Google thing, right? Um, but AMP is really always operated under the premise that it is an open source technology, even though Google has been the one that has really developed it and pushed it and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so, there's been AMP partners for a while. So, like Twitter is an AMP partner, LinkedIn is an AMP partner. So, if you have a mobile, you know, if you have an AMP tag on your page, and somebody goes from Twitter or LinkedIn to you know, a page that has an AMP tag on it on your website, they're going to get the AMP version just like they would from Google search. And so Bing is applying that as well. I'm sure there was a lot of handshake deals behind the scenes to make sure that happened. Um, that said, I the big takeaway that I had from Matt was that he said that he wanted to make it, they, that Google is looking at how do they make the entire web um, be able to benefit from the lessons they learned from AMP. And I think what he means by that is particularly the caching. So... One of the things that makes AMP work so fast is I think there's this thought that AMP HTML, this simplified version of HTML, is what makes websites so fast, but it's not really. If you go to an AMP page, um, you'll notice the URL says google.com slash amp slash whatever the the main URL is, and that's because it's loading from the Google cache. And I think Google would like to help publishers apply that methodology and a lot of the other things that they've done uh, to their sites in the future uh, which maybe necessarily doesn't mean those pages are, are AMP, uh, or use AMP HTML. And uh, he also mentioned being able to share some of those features, like being in the, the news carousel and things like that with publishers that, that leverage these types of standards as opposed to those that just leverage AMP. So I think if you're, if you're a publisher, it's really worth paying attention to AMP and all these different technologies that Google is talking about, but that doesn't necessarily mean you need to do AMP itself.
1: Right. Um, something that I wanted to talk about. I've actually, when I was doing a little bit of research today, noticed a lot of articles talking about ad spend and um, how it's kind of almost at an all-time high and projected reach is over two hundred billion this year. So, what are some things that have maybe triggered this growth, and also some things that publishers should keep in mind going into Q4?
0: Yeah. So, really great topic. I mean, we are approaching Q4, which is you know the the big time of the year. Um, I mean, I think a lot of the things about digital ad spend are really intuitive. So, I mean, we think about, you know, um, you know, our generation. Um, I say our as if you and I are close, the same in age. It's maybe wishful thinking. But, um, you know, I, I, I think we all consume content. I mean, people that are under the age of 35, 40 all consume content very differently. And I think just technology changes in general. I think even uh, older adults, like my parents' generation, are consuming content differently than they did before. No one turns on the nightly news at six o'clock and has scheduled viewing anymore. There's so much available on your phone, uh, on a tablet, on a computer. Um, people are just interacting with media differently, and so that means you know if you're traditional, traditionally been spending a lot of money in you know television or billboard. Um, you we've talked about this before. What happens to a marketing budget if you don't use it?
1: It definitely goes away.
0: Right. So every year what happens, the marketing budget gets stretched a little bit more and a little bit more. And so marketing budgets for brands grow every year and you have to figure out where you put that money where it's most effective. And if I was to say, we can, I can sell you two different kinds of advertising and you can sell you one that's really hard to measure where we don't have very good metrics and is in a dying kind of media form that sees less and less impressions and less and less engagement over time. Or I can say there's one that's really easy to measure, or I can say you have a very targeted audience and is growing uh, in pretty much every emerging country that there is, which one would you pick?
1: definitely would pick the one that you can measure and one where you see opportunities in.
0: Yeah, and so one is digital and the other is print and television. And so digital is obviously the one that's the most attractive there. So I think that's what's what's triggering the spend uh, increases is marketing budgets and then the shift. Um, and then we're seeing that drive competition in the space, right? There's competition for this digital ad space. Um, even though there's more and more publishers than there are ever before, um, it, it is showing in the ad revenue index that, you know, ad rates keep going up. We saw an all time high in July this year, which you'd never see. And, uh, we'll see another one on black Friday, mark my words. I will make that prediction on black Friday. You will see ad rates hit the highest they've ever hit before, And so, if heading into Q4 you're thinking to yourself, I want to capitalize on this, the best thing you can do is probably nothing. If your site is doing well right now and you're generally happy with the way things are, do not try to do something overly creative to capitalize on this. People hurt themselves badly in Q4 a lot of times, getting overly cute. Q4 is the time you you set all your ducks and your soldiers in a row. And you let them battle it out in Q4 because that's whenever you make – there's there's going to be a huge opportunity in Q4 to make a lot of money this year.
1: So you're telling publishers to just enjoy their holidays and <laughs>
0: take I mean, some time? Really, yes. I mean, in a lot of ways, yes. I mean, monitor things, continue to crank out great content and do all the things that you're doing. Um, think about being a great publisher and connecting with your audience. That's what I would say. And worry worry about infrastructure, redesigns um a lot of that other stuff later on um i would say right now is the time you want to be making sure that you know all that stuff is squared away um now's the time you want to be finishing up any optimizations making decisions about what demand and things like that you're going to use on the ad side and um once you're happy with all that stuff i'd say set it and forget it and focus on engaging your audience for the next couple months
1: that's some good advice and good insight too i'm sure people are kind of almost relieved to hear like oh i don't need to scramble to do anything yeah, they,
0: i think publishers in general are always trying to find you know like always kind of maybe have this attitude of like i need to do more or i need to be kind of on the cutting edge um and so you could, everyone listening has my permission to take a small break during the holidays and maybe just focus on the fun part which is i think what everybody likes which is content quality content and uh your audience
1: Um, Another thing I wanted to talk about today is the Telegraph, um, and their claim that readers are five times more valuable when they register for some sort of account. So the Telegraph has been kind of pursuing this registration-first strategy after finding out that um, registered users produce five times more value in terms of future revenue and long-term return than anonymous users. Um, they've been testing this strategy for about a year, and they found that registration builds a relationship with the users, but they do still have to find ways to provide value towards registering. So is this something that publishers who may not have a subscription-based model um, could find valuable, or is it kind of just like, don't focus on this unless you're really like looking to move towards a su- subscription-based
0: so I'm smiling right now, Shelby, because <laughs> there, people are going to think we script some things. Um, we de- you you independently come up with the agenda. Yes. to Confirm this for our audience. Yes. So this is, it seems like we're teeing up a promotion here, but at Pubtelligence London, we'll get way more insight on this than I could provide on this co- podcast because the CIO of Telegraph media Chris Taylor is actually going to speak at the event and he's speaking on this exact subject I just actually got off the got off a call with him this morning and uh, we were kind of chatting a little bit about what his session would be about and he said I would love to talk about our research about registered users and what we're learning about um, why it's so important that we think you know you own your audience versus rent it and we think you know, registered users is a big part of that. So I to be honest, I'm, I'm very interested in the research. I, I've read as much as you have on it, and uh, he seems very big on it. it. It generally goes towards the principles that we always espouse, which is basically find as many ways as you can to connect with your audience and keep them engaged and be able to own them, um, meaning you're, you're not relying on Google or Facebook or Twitter or whoever it is to send you your audience or your audience lives there and you have to like – Steal them away every time you want them to um, to check out your content, uh, and I think registration is a great way to do that. I think you know the challenge there is obvious. You know if you're not subscribing or paying to subscribe, which is a totally different business model, right? You have different employees, different problems. Like what happens when people unsubscribe? You lose that revenue, all that kind of stuff. Um, so if you do have this model where you want people to register, like I guess yeah, what is the incentive? And so um, that will be the the question I have for him, and I'm sure he's probably got a pretty good answer.
1: So we'll have to revisit this after PubTeligence London then?
0: Yeah, I think so.
1: That's so funny. Um, do you know what other speakers we'll be having at PubTeligence London?
0: Yeah, so there's a couple that I can share with you now, and we're probably I'm probably 24 hours away from being able to tell you everyone. So it sounds like we're going to have uh, – so we I mentioned the CIO of Telegraph Media. Um, we have some member members of Google's AdSense team, uh, more members of Google's mobile team. Um, either Matt uh, himself, who spoke of Intelligence West, or maybe his counterpart, uh, Ben Moores, who spoke of Intelligence New York last year. One of them will be attending from Google as well. So a couple Googlers talking about some Google stuff. Um, and then we have uh, Bill Slosky, um, who runs a couple things. He's he's very well known in the SEO world. He's kind of a celebrity. Um, he's known for kind of reviewing Google's patents and kind of like the setback back deciphering exactly what they mean and how they relate to search algorithm. He's about as much of an expert in the space, and you you know how I feel about the SEO space. So when I say somebody's an expert in the space, they really are. So he he's going to be joining us in London and speaking. Um, we have someone joining us from news.uk. Um, I can't specifically say who it is yet, but he confirmed to me over email today that he would speak, and so we're just hashing out his topic. So out of respect to him, I won't share exactly yet since all the details aren't done yet. Um, But he is the managing director of uh, of a big portion of what they do there, uh, news.uk. And um, then we've got a couple people that we think are going to speak either from the Financial Times or The Guardian. And so we're just kind of sorting that out right now as well. So some really big media publishers over there across the pond, as they say, some really good experts from the world of SEO. And I think They will have a lot of really great insights for our publishers. So, even if you're a smaller publisher and you're thinking there's nothing I can learn from these big guys, the whole idea behind the event is that uh, we try to bring in elements that everybody can learn from and keep everybody on the cutting edge. So, um, you know, the the whole philosophy is, you know, a little something for everybody.
1: That's really exciting. Our listeners will just have to keep listening in each week. We'll kind of divulge a little more info as we (laughs) get it. Um, something else that we kind of talked about last week was IGTV. So they've really um, come out an announcement saying that they're seeing a growing popularity. And I don't know if I'm going to say this word right. Episodic videos? So episodes, series yeah. of videos. Um, so Instagram says that it's kind of emerging. Um, they claim that ongoing series of episodes give viewers a reason to return and watch more content and can actually help attract and retain new viewers And unlike one-off videos and episodes of a series can kind of encapsulate what type of content that viewers can expect from watching the channel. However, Instagram has yet to release any features that really capitalize on this.
0: Yeah, so I, I mean, I think generally, you know, Instagram is kind of playing, you know, the game that, you know, any entrepreneur that starts a business does to a certain extent with this product, which is basically like, you know, you fake it till you make it, which is... You know, I think they're trying to roll out as you know, find as many publishers that can produce stuff that works in that format as possible, and then they'll begin to kind of like roll out features and um, and, and different efforts to try to make sure that the platform continues and caters to that, and caters to the audiences that that like that. You know, we talked about this a little bit with Paul. Paul changed my opinion a little bit about it just because of his experience as the chief digital officer for Hearst. Um, he seemed to believe very strongly that IGTV would make it, and that you know, publishers would eventually stop recycling content from other formats and um, and make it work on and find things that work on Instagram. So episodic things, I think, seem to fit that profile to me. Um, it's a reason why you would tune back in as opposed to using the IGTV as like an extended story almost or live programming. Um, also, Robert Diamond from Broadway World had mentioned to me that they had been able to actually – find some success taking some of their content from other platforms and, and repositioning it on IGTV. I don't think that that's the long-term future of it, but um, talking to both those gentlemen, my opinion changed of it a little bit. So I, I guess I'm the stock stock arrow is pointing up on IGTV, in my opinion. So if you're a publisher and you can find ways to engage your audience, I'm always a fan. So
1: Yeah, that's interesting how your opinion has kind of shifted after that. Um, You mentioned stories. This is the last thing I have on deck today. So Snapchat is allowing publishers to create live stories um, out of user-generated content. So Snapchat is launching this new feature called Curated Our Stories to 26 different media companies. So they'll allow publishers to access public posts made by Snapchat users and package them into editions centering around live events, breaking news, and other topics. So this is appealing to publishers for a couple different reasons. One of them being that this doesn't require any extra resources or cost. You're just kind of getting this content for free, and just repackaging it. And it also builds relationships with users and um, users and the brand. So I thought that was actually kind of a neat move, and I thought that was pretty smart.
0: Yeah, no, I agree, and you, I think you honed in on you know one of the most attractive parts. If you're a publisher that's listening to this. Um, which is the fact that you don't have to – it's user-generated content, which is a lot of – you know it's dangerous sometimes, but in this case, I think I don't see a lot of risk with it because you're actually kind of curating it. Um, That said, I think where I see this working immediately and where I would think to take advantage of this, if you're a publisher that knows you have an audience there already or could build one or already have like an engaged audience that may want to participate in that platform, I would totally be all over this. I think it's really cool and it's a great way to kind of like – it's a great way to get started on Snapchat. So like, if you're, if you're like, maybe not, you don't know how you would use that platform as a publisher, like here's a really great way. If you have an audience, if you know that that audience engages on there. So I know we have people on here that have like, you know, history for kids and and different things like that. Um, You know, even a platform like that would work. Like you could, you could make Snapchat work for a site like that, which, you know, seemingly would not have a presence on Snapchat. So, Um, Definitely something worth exploring and thinking about. Um, I think publishers hear Snapchat a lot and think, like, I'd like to use it, but I don't really know how it makes sense. Like, here's another tool. So I like the move from Snap, too, from the standpoint of, like, trying to find different ways to, like, bring more and more value to their platform. Um,
1: Publishers are kind of, like, having to see themselves more as a brand nowadays. So I think it's interesting to be like, oh, I posted this Snapchat story publicly and then CNN decided to use my Snapchat story in their, um, work. So I think that's really cool. And I think that it's kind of users wanting to get a little bit more involved in the process.
0: Yeah, I think it's, I I think it's really cool. And I think too, from a standpoint of like, um, you know, uh, Matt, when we, uh, from Google, whenever we did the, uh, end of the day Q and A panel at PubTelligence, you know, one of the questions from the audience was, um, going into 2019, you know, like if you're a publisher, like what would you, how would you think about things maybe differently than you had in the past? And one of the things that Matt had said was he would think of his website like a product. And, you know, like your audience, like consumers, like how do you sell them your product? And I think this is a good example of that is like, you know, how, how would you, if you think about all the different people that come to your website as potential customers, you know, like how do you sell them your content? And this is a great You know, Snapchat, Facebook, Twitter, whatever it is, any features that they add, you have to think about them as like a a source of lead generation almost, you know?
1: Well, that's all I have on deck today. Is there anything uh, exciting going on on your side?
0: Probably lots of things, but I'm like you and where um, my head is still spinning from all the events and things like that that we have coming up, I think it it is a very exciting time to be a publisher. We are coming up on Q4. I kind of gave my thoughts on that a little bit earlier in the show um, but I, I'm sure in coming weeks, we'll address more and more of that type of material. And um, hope you know we had Dr. Greg on uh, a while back, and it might not be a bad idea to have him on again. I know his talk was one of the most popular ones from PubTelligence West, and uh, the audience seemed to just want more and more Dr. Greg. So maybe we'll get him on the podcast for everyone to share some data insights and things like that as well. So for those of you that enjoy our shows with some guests, Hopefully we'll get some more here for you shortly. I think that's it. If you want to connect with us on Twitter, it's at Azoic. Uh, Shelby will check out that account and we will continue to bring any comments or thoughts that you have on the show uh, or through that platform onto the show. And uh, leave us reviews on iTunes. Those things are super helpful. And I know we've gotten a couple more here recently. And the show is continuing to grow. And that means that we continue to put more and more effort into it. So hopefully um, it just gets better and better over time.
1: All right. Thank you, everybody.